Welcome back to the Architecture Firm Marketing Podcast. I'm Dave Sharp, Marketing Coach and Consultant for Architects at VanityProjects.com and this is the special Q&A episode where I answer questions that you've sent into the podcast. If you've got any questions or marketing challenges that you'd like to get my take on, you can email me at dave at vanityprojects.com and when I do another one of these episodes in the next, hopefully in the next few weeks, I'll be able to answer them for you. So let's start off with a question from Richard uh, from Liverpool in the UK. He says, Dave, greeting from, greetings from Liverpool. Love the podcast and the emails. We are stuck at the start. We would love to reach the point of applying some of the marketing methods you talk about in the podcast and on your blog, but we need help in figuring out what the message actually is. There seems to be a number of spokes in the wheel. There's us expressing our purpose, and we really don't know what the hell that is. Um, There is positioning the purpose, so it isn't just the usual bullshit award-winning designers who do great at everything, but something that solves a problem for a client. And then we've got this spoke of the imagined client that we want to target. And so the difficulty that we're having is where do we start with this exercise in finding our values or purpose uh, or who could we approach to help us do it? Um, We see lots of people who are all about SEO or designing nice websites and getting more visitors, but who can actually help us to drill down into what we're about? Okay, Richard, you're in a bit of a pickle. Um, Obviously, this is a pretty common situation and I hear this a lot, this idea of, you know, we've been reluctant to start really doing much on our marketing because we think we haven't really figured out our message. And I'll talk more about whether or not that's the right way to do things. Um, It's obviously important that you sort of tie down your positioning and get it sorted before you go out there um, with your marketing plan. It's definitely saying that will make your marketing more effective. Um, And this idea of the message, while it's kind of a vague notion, we all kind of get that we need to kind of you know, figure out who our business is for so that we're not trying to target everybody. So that's what this is kind of about. Now, the approaches that Rich has mentioned in his email are quite good um, in terms of thinking about the target clients and the purpose and all that sort of stuff. These are all just different ways of approaching the same problem. There isn't like a one-size-fits-all solution that's going to work for everybody. And they're kind of more like lenses at the optometrist, right? Where you're getting your eyes tested and they put on each one and go, is it better or worse, better or worse? And that's kind of what we're doing here. We're just trying different approaches. Uh, And what you'll find is that when you work with different experts, they'll each have their own sort of methods for doing this, um, depending on which kind of field they come from. So there are experts that can help with this. If you find you or, or anyone else in the audience is finding that they're just not able to sort of step outside of the, you know, the day-to-day of their practice and get a good look at kind of what are we doing, um, you know, how are we differentiated from other firms, uh, what are we missing, right? Those things can sometimes be hard to figure out when you're inside your firm. It's You can't really, it's like being stuck inside a jar and you can't read what's on the label on the outside, right? Like it's, you, you, you have trouble figuring out what you look like to the outside world. So I think that's one of the benefits of working with an expert, just getting some objectivity So there are specific specialists that work on this kind of thing uh, and they're called brand strategists and it's it's kind of a growing field of people that work on this issue and help you sort of work through and, you know, figure out what the sort of philosophy of your practice is and all that sort of stuff. Um, But that's such an involved process and it's usually something that uh, larger practices or or larger businesses or companies are usually doing. 
and brand strategy can be quite an expensive undertaking. So what's more typical for a small architecture practice is that you will work with a consultant in another field, um, such as myself in marketing, you would work with a copywriter, you would work with a, uh, a branding person, uh, not a brand strategist, but a branding person, or you'd work with uh, a communications expert, such as a PR consultant, somebody who is coming from some other field of expertise, and then there will be a component devoted to uh, exploring your kind of your your positioning and your messaging, uh, and making sure that that's clear before moving ahead with other things. Um, so you know it's not going to be the entirety of what you do with that expert, uh, but it's going to be a big part of it. Yeah, I think exploring, you know, getting an expert to help you is a probably a pretty good idea. Just somebody that you can kind of discuss this stuff with. What I would want to challenge, though, is the idea that you need to delay or postpone getting really doing any work on your marketing until you feel confident that you've got this message. Um, I think that's probably a bit of a mistake that I see a lot of architects making this. Uh, we've obviously taken on board the message that our marketing won't be as successful if we haven't defined our niche and kind of worked out what our message is, of course, but most of the marketing that you do will be unaffected by that positioning choice in the end. Um, a lot of your marketing will still work and still be effective um, and it shouldn't prevent you from doing just basic bread and butter things. So I think it is important to be like cognizant of the fact that you do need to improve in your messaging and your, and your differentiation, but it shouldn't be used as something to give you kind of permission to spend six months, 12 months, two years kind of avoiding doing any online marketing. Uh, and I just see that mistake come up quite often. You know, a firm will tell me something like, oh, we just haven't got our message, so we're hesitant to do anything. And the result of that is that they have a website that they should have upgraded five years ago, an Instagram account they haven't posted to for a year. They haven't built an email list. They haven't, you know, just the list goes on, just things that they haven't done at all. Um, not even, they haven't made any progress on it whatsoever. And it's because there's this sort of perfectionist tendency and a little bit of a uh, sort of overthinking or paralysis that sort sort of starts to set in when we get to get too worried about not having that confident message. So I would encourage firms to look at it as you know do your best in, do your best on your own to think about it, read about it, look at different resources, have discussions um, with anybody that you can. You, that you can talk to about it, We're not even a paid consultant, but somebody inside your team. Um, then think about maybe looking towards using an expert, but even so, looking at it as a continual process of something that you're going to improve over time while you're also working on other areas of your marketing. Um, your marketing will become more effective over time as you get that better um, positioning and that messaging in place, but it's, uh, it's not something that should stop you from doing marketing stuff in general. I, I believe um, in an ideal world, you would have that stuff all nicely tied up before moving ahead into marketing. But I see that as a big cause of issues and a lot of underperformance for a lot of practices. And I see much better results if people do just kind of get going, preferably on areas that are the least impacted by not having that clear, um, that clear stuff and, and, and then going from there. Let's move on to the next question. Um, stressed out Brooklyn architect, pandemic mother of two. I love it. That's a nice sort of anonymous title to go with. 
Um, she says, hi, Dave, I have a question. I'm super busy with work and I'm, and I'm also just a very small firm. It's currently just me. If, I, if I'm only able to spend one hour a week on marketing due to the pandemic time crunch and having children at home all the time, how should I spend that one hour? Okay, so if you've only got that much time to spend on marketing, I would devote it to maintaining audiences that you've already built. And I'll try and take the marketing jargon out of that. So... In, in your marketing, you're usually doing one of two things. You're either going out there and trying to find new people. So let's get some brand awareness or some visibility with new potential clients, for example. And that examples of that might be running an Instagram ad or getting published in a magazine or something like that. And then the other side of your marketing is what you do afterwards with those people that are now aware of your company. So you send them emails, you post Instagram stories, you do a webinar, you write a blog post, whatever, you know, stuff like that. Stuff that's just reinforcing that sort of multiple touch points with those people. So in the past with your practice, no, no matter what stage your practice is at, you have made investments to get the to get the attention of people to some degree. You may not have done a whole lot of sort of online marketing, but you've built relationships. You have developed goodwill with past clients and, and consultants and referral sources. And maybe you've built a little bit of a social media audience. Maybe you have some people you can email. Like there's an audience that you have invested energy in getting and developing and growing. And so if you're, if you're stuck in a temporary period of time where you're very restricted in terms of the marketing that you could do, I think the important thing to do is focus on just keeping those relationships active, right? Sort of retaining those past client relationships, keeping you top of mind with your whatever size social media audience you've already built. So being focused more inward rather than going outward and hoping that we're going to reach new audiences that haven't heard of us before. So some good examples, I think, is just being really making sure that you're still maintaining whatever social media channels you've you've developed. Um, maybe consolidating your emails into a list that you can kind of write some short updates to just to kind of track what you're doing and, and follow along and keep kind of active with people. You could also um, take the more important relationships that you've developed and reach out to them and maybe, you know, 15 minutes every second week is a Zoom call where you're just kind of maintaining a relationship with a consultant who's referred you work in the past. So just some examples of things that you can do, but just just focus on keeping your existing audience. Don't go after anything new and hopefully your situation will change uh, relatively soon and then you'll be able to start going out and trying to find a bigger audience um, using that time. So I'll move on to the next question. Millicent from California says, Hi Dave, I've really enjoyed poking around your website. I'm a content writer and I've recently been roped into coming up with a marketing strategy for my husband's firm in California. I'm in the process of directing a website redesign and as I consider the content uh, my question has to do with the tone and the message. What suggestions do you have for tailoring website copies such as the about page in a way that doesn't sound like every other architect? Uh, I've been checking out a bunch of sites and they all really just say the same version of the same thing. The tone tends to be very high level, sophisticated and a little over my head. It's like their level of artistry is beyond me and that's why I should hire them. 
Part of me wants to take a risk and adopt a casual, direct, and perhaps even funny tone that just gets down on the same level as our clients, many of whom are families who are looking to build a functional home for kids and dogs. But at the same time, I do want to attract wealthy clients, and it seems like there's this tradition of seriousness, and I'd kind of love to know uh, what you think, if there's room for other tones. Okay, so obviously, I'm... I'm absolutely going to say, you know, breaking out of the mold with more personality, casual, direct, funny is absolutely a good way to go as long as that's authentic to your practice. If that matches up with what I'm going to experience working with you and that does match your clients who are casual, laid back people who love kids and dogs and all that sort of stuff, then absolutely. But if I walk into your husband's office and it's like, you know, it's like the accountant's office and everyone's in the suit and the tie and, you know, it's uh, in a little strip mall somewhere and it's just really like no, not a, you know, you could hear a pin drop and, you know, I crack a joke and everyone just rolls their eyes, you know, um, <laughs> which I'm assuming it's not like that. But if it is, funny tone is going to, might help you to get more, get more bookings, but it's not going to work in terms of when people come to the office. So that's just taking an extreme example. As long as that aligns with what I get when I walk in the door, then we're really, really good. And that's going to help. Um, but likewise, if your clients are actually, you know, not the way you're describing, but if another firm genuinely does work with clients that are, that are more sophisticated, are kind of really into art, are kind of black turtleneck clients, um, with thick frame glasses and that's what the architecture firm is like too and the office is like the office itself feels like an art gallery like you know that's the kind of mood and the environment that we're creating both in terms of the work the clients and the architecture practice itself and we and we do have this very cold professional approach um, but but probably you know a very luxury approach to to as a as a service business if those things are that way then perhaps adopting, a more so serious traditional or kind of luxury tone uh, and language, it would be worthwhile as well. So basically the point I'm getting to is it just has to match the reality of what's going on with the practice, the type of work you do and the clients. Um, and so I very few architects do that, right? Most architecture practices, small residential firms, they are casual, they are quite laid back. Their clients are also quite laid back people or tend to be who are about young kids, dogs, growing families, all that kind of thing. Um, and so it does make sense to adopt that kind of more, you know, more personable tone, more approachable tone. And I think by doing that, you'll see, you'll see some really, really good, good results from that. So next question, Gabriella asks, hi, Dave, thank you for your time. I'm a young architect who works abroad and I've been planning to start my own firm in the luxury sector, uh, the sector, the sector, which I believe values my international profile more. Uh, my difficulty is to start my networking and get my first clients in that niche since I don't have much experience and the few projects I made so far do not represent the image that I want to convey to them. So my question is, could you give some advice to beginners, perhaps in the luxury sector, about how to start building my network and get my first clients? Okay, so this is really situational. Firstly, I'm not sure what the luxury sector is. That could be a lot of different things. If it's residential, good luck to you. Um, <laughs> like, if you want to come straight out the gate with like, you know, $5 million houses, then, you know, good luck. Um, but I'm going to assume we're talking about more like perhaps tourism or commercial or retail or something like that or hospitality. So you're, you're, you're going to be doing kind of business to business marketing. And I think business to business marketing is actually probably the easiest place to get get initial clients because your clients are identifiable. They are public businesses. 
Um, I don't mean publicly owned businesses, but I mean, they are visible. You know who they are. They they promote themselves. They they have a presence online. So it makes identifying who who are the decision makers at these companies? What are these com- what are the values of these companies? What does their growth look like? Are they growing? Are they moving into different markets? What way are these, what way is their company heading? Do I kind of do my does my approach to design sort of fit in with that culture that they're developing in their company and how they're promoting and branding themselves publicly? So there's a lot of great things about business-to-business marketing. Um, The thing about business-to-business is that you really do need to learn quite a bit about the market before you try to enter into it. There'll be certain language and ideas and processes that are sort of baked into the culture of that industry that you'll want to familiarize yourself with. Um, There might also be processes of kind of how things are done um, that is helpful to know about. And so I initially recommend that clients, if they feel that they don't have a, a, a network in a business niche, that probably also means that they don't actually know very much, right? They're, they, they're not familiar with that niche and would have a hard time sort of drumming up business there or those first clients and building trust. So I would recommend that initially you focus on identifying individuals who you think are like-minded based on how they're approaching um, their company uh, or their brand or their business um, and who seem to be, you know, reflect the kind of clients that you're looking for in the space and then reach out to them sincerely and hopefully initiate a conversation where you can learn a little bit more about their industry. But obviously, people get a lot of these kinds of inquiries. Could I, you know, could I pick your brains for 20 minutes? So that can be quite difficult. One thing that I've found uh, a helpful alternative approach for kind of getting in a conversation with people would be to basically create some good PR for them by creating some content. So um, quite often an interview uh, publishing an interview with them will be something that they might value or doing a podcast episode with them. You could even start like the luxury sector podcast. Like I can speak from experience there. When I first started, that was a really helpful way for me to expand my network of architects. That that was really a big part of why I started this podcast. It's it's now become something I just enjoy doing, but, but that's very helpful early on when you're trying to build your reputation in a niche and meet people and learn more about the industry. But so let's say that you've got those strategies for actually meeting those initial clients, learning more about the industry, um, potentially even getting recommendations about who else you should speak to from them directly. The, the other thing that you can do if you're finding that that's not working is focus more on other consultants or related disciplines that, uh, that also serve that same market and are targeting those same customers. Um, so that might be, you know, for example, maybe engineers, property people, uh, you name it, right? Like uh, if it's a hospitality thing, suppliers that sell them the kitchen stuff, like there's a lot of other trades and a lot of other professions that also have this same target audience. And so oftentimes they might be more open to speaking to you because there's always the potential down the track that you might be able to refer them business. So it's more mutually beneficial than you taking the time of uh, somebody who could be a potential client. So that's another way of doing it. I have a client right now who is based in Europe, but is interested in working on public buildings in the Middle East. And she is going through this exact same process, reaching out to uh, related disciplines and for having sort of short Zoom calls. And is just really coming up with some absolutely golden nuggets of insight into how the industry works there and what steps she needs to take to start getting involved um, in these projects, who she needs to know, who she needs to talk to, what she needs to be prepared for. And that information is filtering directly back into our marketing 
um, process, the the way that we're hoping to build our um, sort of our presence in this market and like a copywriting strategy, sales strategy, all of that's being informed directly by um, notes that she's taking in some of these really great conversations. So but prior to her having those meetings, it was actually extremely difficult to know how we should approach this challenge. And so I think you should kind of take the same approach with your, um, with your goal here and start doing some more research. Okay, so next question and from Sweden. Hey Dave, I'm so nervous every time I put out something on Instagram and I cannot really say why. Is it fear of judgment? I'd just love to know how other architects tackle this. So yeah, this is a really common problem and it's particularly acute on Instagram. I think because that's become our main sort of professional channel online, there's a bit of a sense that um, there's a lot of judgment from your peers um, and there's a sense that you're kind of being ranked alongside them right and if they get 500 likes and you get 50 likes that means they're 10 times better at architecture than you right so there's a lot of these sorts of feelings and I get it I mean it's it's very understandable I think the only thing that I would suggest would be trying oftentimes it's a sign that you just need more practice and you need to kind of get over that hump that sensitivity or fear of judgment is usually most present when you're doing something for the first time or are very new to it. So I see the same thing with clients, you know, sending emails or putting stuff on their website or whatever. Like there are things that when we're new at it, it's quite stressful um, to, to, to just get through it and get it happening. So initially what I would suggest doing would be actually simplifying the approach as much as possible, which takes away a lot of the opportunity for you to kind of overthink how you're doing it and have some of that perfectionism stuff tend to creep in, right? So rather than, you know, rather than spending an hour and a half sort of strategizing and rewriting and rewriting and rewriting your Instagram caption to the point where, you know, you only are able to post once a month, um, which sounds crazy, but that happens a lot. I, I, I speak to a lot of architects that get stuck doing that. We need to just identify where we're having those problems and we're getting stuck, simplify the process. So from for now on, for, for a couple of months, for example, um, no more captions. It's just going to be names of projects. And rather than once a month, we're going to be posting four times a week. And we need to sort of automate it as much as we possibly can or systematize it as much as we possibly can so that it's taking away a lot of the room for you to kind of overthink things, right? So it's just taking out of your hands. So that could be something that you do on your own, or that could be something that um, you get somebody externally to help you with, right? So it's just completely out of your plate and you just have to live with the fact that it's being done a certain way and you just have to get through it. So while that's happening, what you'll start to notice, and the reason that I, I, I sort of t like to recommend this approach is that you'll start seeing amazing results because basically, you know, what you thought was creating quality was often not and you were massively losing on quantity. So <laughs> so oftentimes a small just adjustment to simplify the process makes no difference to the final to the audience. They don't care. The depending on what the social media or what the marketing channel is, this will obviously change. But, you know, it's a small difference in the end result, but by massively scaling up the quantity, you're going to see so much better results. So, 
for example, on Instagram, you'll start seeing more likes, more followers, more engagement. You'll start getting positive comments from people. You'll start getting some inquiries, even with this vastly simplified approach. And then you go, oh, so it turns out I didn't have to worry about any of this stuff at all. And by actually not even thinking about it, I get so much better results. Oh, how, how silly do I feel, right? And there's this kind of epiphany that I've seen a lot of my clients go through where it's like, oh, I didn't even realize it was that simple, honestly. And then that fear kind of goes away. And so basically that's kind of a journey that I, I've seen a lot of my clients go from where at the very beginning, the where they haven't done a lot of marketing things before, everything is kind of a worry and stressful and kind of it's always a little bit out of our comfort zone. But then over time, as you as you get over more and more of those fears and you get more comfortable doing things, I see my clients get to the point where they're just like super comfortable trying anything and they're they're coming up with ideas and going, oh, I saw somebody do this and now I, I want to give that a go and or I'll come up with a suggestion. They're like, yeah, let's try it. Let's do it, whatever, right? So there's this kind of freedom and flexibility and confidence that you start to develop over time as you, as you get more practice and you try more things. So just try to make it as easy as possible for you to kind of get out of your own head and, and create a system that is like a template cookie cutter approach that will just kind of take away your own micromanaging tendencies would be my suggestion. And also, you know, the fear of judgment is a separate issue, but I think what, I think that fear of judgment goes away when you, when you just get over this hump in general. So try to put a system in place that will make it as easy as possible for you to yourself to succeed on whatever marketing channel you're dealing with. Um, and then through that, I believe you'll overcome a lot of these issues. So that's it. Those are the questions that I've picked out for this episode. I really hope that uh, that, that was helpful. It gave you all something to think about. And look, if you do have any questions or anything that, you know, listening to some of the ones that were sent in, you go, hey, I've got a question like that. I've always wondered about this. Then please send it in to dave at vanityprojects.com and I'll answer it for you on another episode soon. If you'd like to learn more about me or what I do, you can go to vanityprojects.com and make sure you're subscribed to this podcast because every two weeks I'm putting up an interview with an architect where we talk about their firm, their marketing, their general thoughts on, you know, how to communicate architecture and all that awesome stuff. Uh, And then every so often, and I'm going to do one of these Q&A episodes as well. So that's it. And I'll see you next time.